and welcome back to the Turning 30 podcast, a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, life coach Anna Wilson, and I'm here to help you feel better, get unstuck, and be more confident in your 30s. I am really excited for this week's guest. As I always say, and for those of you who've listened to the podcast for a while, you'll be familiar with the fact that whilst I love hosting all of my podcast guests, I particularly enjoy hosting my clients. And when this specific client reached out to me and told me her mission, told me that she wanted to work on this specific subject, I instantly knew that it was going to be such a great fit because you'll hear why and my own journey in this podcast episode. So I absolutely love interviewing my clients. We obviously talk about coaching, but this specific episode is going to be all about changing your relationship with alcohol. And the work that I did with Gabriella over the past four or five months of working together was truly incredible because she went through her own alcohol-free journey in the past two years and she really has a strong mission to help others to change their relationship with alcohol and it was such a pleasure to work with her and to really you know be able to support her to show up in the way that she is now showing up and to create an amazing coaching program that I highly recommend for any of you who are looking to work on this area of your life. Now I want to just say before we dive into the episode that this episode is by no means supposed to be preachy. It's not trying to convince everybody here to quit drinking alcohol or to be sober or to put any big questions or judgments on anybody who enjoys their relationship with alcohol or who doesn't want to change it. But having said that, although I really do want to caveat that we're not preaching, I do want to open this conversation because it's something that's made a huge difference in my life. And I know it's a really trendy topic to talk about right now because so many people are exploring their own relationship with alcohol. So this episode is for you, whether you are thinking of stopping whether you've already stopped or whether you're just thinking of cutting down or having a more conscious relationship so really just having a little bit more thought into how often you're drinking when you're drinking and your behaviors around alcohol so it's a really interesting topic and something I feel very very strongly about and connected to and I hope that you'll also enjoy and as always I would love you to let me know how this episode landed with you, let me know any takeaways, any thoughts, anything that will help me know what to talk about in the upcoming episodes. We have lots of exciting Turning 30 podcast episodes planned. Now, before I introduce our guest, Gabriella, I actually want to remind all of you that at the time of recording this, only about six weeks, we will be embarking on the Align Retreat. This is my first ever official retreat in the UK. It's taking place on the 4th to the 7th of August. I'm hosting it with Yelena, who many of you may know from following me and from listening to the podcast, is an incredible workshop and event facilitator. She is a human design expert and a breathwork facilitator as well. And the two of us are going to be running what can only be described as a transformative four days, how to step back into alignment, really taking time to pour into your own cup. There are still spots left and I really encourage you to check out the website and to reserve your spot and you can also message me if it's something you're thinking about but there's something holding you back. I absolutely cannot wait to fly back to the UK and to meet my community there. The girls that are already signed up for the retreat are honestly just so incredible and I'm so excited to meet everyone there. So on that note, let me introduce Gabriella. Gabriella Flax is an alcohol-free life coach helping women and men make drinking insignificant in their lives. After having a major health wake-up call in her 20s, Gabriella began writing the modern handbook for alcohol-free living in a world that idealizes drinking. 
From relearning how to socialize, travel and date without wine to exploring how to create true, not liquid, but true courage, Gabriella is passionate about helping you feel your best emotionally, physically and without booze. I'm really excited to dive into this week's episode. Hey, Gabriella, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Emma. I know I've said this to you like seven times since we decided to record together, but this is a really important episode for me. And also, as you know, I say this many times on the on the podcast that having my clients on is my favorite episodes. Like I really genuinely love having these conversations with people that I've worked with. We just finished working together last, last was it last week? This um, week? Yeah. yeah, last week. <laughs> yeah, after an amazing few months and so much progress and amazing transformation. But for me, and I said this to you when you first came into the initial consultation when we were deciding whether to work together, was your mission of helping people to become to question their relationship with alcohol and to potentially become alcohol free is really amazing. I find it really personal to me because I know I'll share more on this in the episode. It's a journey that I'm currently on as well. And I think that there's a huge trend and hype towards this now that we, we need to speak about. So it was really exciting for me when you came into my orbit and when we started working together. And I know, I think I finished every one of our coaching sessions with telling you how much I love your mission. So it's a really proud moment for me to have you on here. I'm really happy that you're going to share. And I guess we'll start by you introducing yourself and sharing your personal journey to becoming alcohol-free. Sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm equally super excited to talk about this. You know, when I first became sober curious around two and a half years now, I never in a million years thought that it would become something that would become so ingrained in all the different areas of my life to the point now where I'm envisioning a future career for myself that surrounds alcohol-free living and helping people navigate that journey for themselves. And I just want to start with that because it is a decision that if someone, you know, feels that that's right for them and does the work to help get themselves to that point, like it really can be transformational, not just in your relationship with alcohol, but it influences your relationship with everyone with your career, with the people you work with, with your family, romantic partners, friendships, it really is just such an all-encompassing aspect of our life because drinking is so normalized. And when you remove it, you start to see actually really how it was ingrained in so many areas of your life. In terms of my own journey going alcohol-free, I'll start by saying I was very much a social drinker. It's important for me to start with that at the outset that I'm not speaking from a place of alcohol abuse or alcohol use disorder and addiction. I'm very much coming from an elective sobriety perspective. I was fortunate to be able to make that decision for myself and honor that decision in different areas of my life. But I was definitely a social drinker from the ages of probably 16 into 26 and What I mean by social drinking is, you know, going to parties in college and having a few beers and shots, definitely drinking on vacation after work drinks. And it doesn't seem like a lot of drinking in the moment. And I look back and I think I was never a huge drinker. But when I look and and kind of do the math on it, my drinking was catching up with me. It was something that I'd have one glass every single night. And the repetition of that actually, it was a lot of drinking. And it's taken me some time to to separate this thought of, oh, I didn't drink a lot or I didn't have an addiction with. My consumption was actually pretty high when you really just look at the round numbers of it. And like most of us, I drank because I wanted to fit in. Simple as that. I wanted to feel connected to the people that were around me. And for whatever reason, a lot of my life, I feel I've been a bit of an outsider I've moved around a lot as a kid. I went to a lot of different schools. I never had a lot of friends really growing up. I had incredibly close friends, two or three. They're still with me to this day. But I'd look at other girls having these massive groups of friends and they'd go on all these huge vacations together or they'd always be invited to birthday parties. And that was never me. And when we got into the age of drinking and I said, oh, look, everyone's now doing this thing called alcohol. And if I do it, I'll be like them because... Maybe that's the the equalizer and having a lot of friends. And it's what makes someone gravitate to you if you're drinking. And so I started. I just purely started on this desire to feel included and to, um, you know, feel like that is what society was telling me I had to do. 
now I recognize my, you know, only having two or three friends and having that really close group as a superpower. It's something that's taken a lot of work to get to that point. But at the time it was like, not having friends was an opportunity cost I wasn't willing to pay. And so I just thought I had to drink and went ahead and, and started. And that kicked off you know, a decade of of getting myself in this loop of just continuous drinking. Yeah, and I think that's really important. Again, I, I know that you said this at the start, but I do want to really emphasize that this episode isn't for anybody or addressing the issue of addiction or alcohol abuse or alcohol use disorder, as you said, but it is really discussing that alcohol being a central focus in our lives. And you know, obviously I'm originally British, even in, I think it's the same in the States. You obviously live in, you do live in uh, London. We should say that for the, for the listeners to know that you live and work in London. And I think that the British culture and the American culture is very, very, very focused on alcohol in our social lives. And that's what we're here to discuss. We're here to discuss this almost kind of alcohol abuse that happens when we rely on alcohol in our social functioning and thank you so much for vulnerably sharing about it being from that place that you desired that connection and you wanted to fit in because I think that the biggest pushback and we'll probably talk about this later in the episode is that people are afraid to not drink because of the consequence of what it will mean for them socially that rejection they may feel the the discomfort they may feel sorry for for being the only one not drinking or to be different from everyone else so yeah, I just wanted to, I guess, reflect back on what you said and say that I think that we sometimes, most of us aren't aware. I want to say us, not me and you, because we're in a different position, but people listening of how central alcohol can be to our everyday lives. And it's something that I know we've spoken about before is that you don't have to be at rock bottom in order to make changes when it comes to alcohol. You don't have to go through addiction. You don't have to go through this huge transformation or this huge upheaval in your life to actually address that alcohol is something that is a problem for you or is something that you desire to change. Can you share a little more about the journey of, you know, you got to the point where you understood why alcohol played that part for you. Why and how did you decide to to actually go on this journey of changing it? Definitely. I think you know, your point about rock bottom is so true. I love to say that rock bottom is relative. Rock bottom is exactly how you define it for yourself, for your own circumstances. And it looks 100% different for every single person. If I think about that concept, you know, as I mentioned, fortunately, I, I didn't, or rather, I never came to a point where I have this one incident, this one rock bottom thing that goes, oh my gosh, I woke up the next morning and I had to stop. I went on a journey of collective rock bottoms that I'm happy to share. There's kind of two of them that that interplayed. The first one was COVID. We went into lockdown and I'd always been very health conscious. You know, I love exercise. Weightlifting is a huge part of my life and eating well. But it was the first time when we were in lockdown, you know, where the lockdown illuminated the power and honor it is to support our bodies and prioritize our health. You know, we went through something collectively as a population where we saw very healthy people get taken down by something. And the impact of that long-term, you know, it's negatively impacted all of us from the mental perspective of lockdowns, from the health impacts of getting sick. You know, it's just not, we don't want to ever be sick. And in that moment, I just had this, the first time where I really thought about the fact that we get one life. I was around 26 years old when lockdown started and I had never until that moment thought about this is it like we get the one life here and I really want to be doing everything in my power to live it out to the best of my ability what that means in terms of having the best mental health for the entirety of my life having the best physical health for the entirety of my life and this new one that kind of came into effect is having the best cognitive health and when I talk about cognitive health I'm not necessarily coming from the mental health perspective around anxiety and depression and other kind of illnesses that fall into that category. I'm really talking about our brain's health. And that's where the second piece of this comes through that at the same time, my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It was around that Christmas that the first time I heard her not remember my name, not remember her daughter's name, who's my mother. And when I have these moments, I become a sponge for information. 
I was of course upset about my grandmother, but it motivated me to go learn everything I could about Alzheimer's and everything I could about how the brain reacts to different inputs that then actually catalyze that disease. And when I started learning, you know, that Alzheimer's and the alcohol consumption have a direct correlation, I couldn't break free of that fact and and really deep dive into the science behind alcohol in the brain. One of the things that came across, and it's really the fact that probably spurred my, my true decision is alcohol takes seven days to cycle through the body. And so even if you're only drinking on the weekends, let's say, and you're having a few drinks out with friends on a Friday or Saturday, whatever it might be, and you're not drinking during the week, you're in this mindset of, okay, I'm having my fun with my friends on the weekend, and that is great. And then I'm not drinking during the week. But when you put it into the seven-day context, your body is working continuously across the week to still process the alcohol from the weekends. You then top it up on Friday, and you're putting yourself into this continuous loop. And it's not a you know fear-mongering or scare tactic. It's just, it's the reality of it. You know, it's a short-term stimulant that is a long-term depressant. And that really, really stuck with me. And knowing that my body over time would start adapting and requiring more and more alcohol to get that same dopamine hit from when I first started drinking. So, you know, the happiness and the, the looseness feeling that you get from that single glass of wine, in time, it becomes two glasses of wine to hit that same threshold. So looking back and having now this concept of, I get this one life, this is it. And every single decision I make on a daily basis contributes to my longevity. Paired with the fact that I already knew I was predisposed for certain cognitive illness, like Alzheimer's, we also have a lot of diabetes in our family, which alcohol can contribute directly to as well. Like, I just knew I had to make a really abrupt stop if my goal was to have the healthiest brain I could and take that forward with me in life. So yeah, that was that was kind of the those two parallels of of this concept. This is it. We get the one life, and then also from more of that. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it feels like it all transpired at the same time. Then you came into this awareness. And I think what you said is almost like once you started to discover it and research it, you couldn't get it out of your head. Like it was almost mm-hmm. like it was the information was too present for you to just carry on and ignore it. At this point in time, how uh, central was alcohol to your social life, to your relationship, to your friendships? Was it something that was very present? It was incredibly present. I think even during lockdown, how many pub quizzes did we do with wine and everyone would do that? Or we would do, you know, different tasting sessions. Like it was so central to pretty much every aspect of my life. And I don't think I acknowledged that. A really great exercise that I did is I wrote down every single time from the memory that I had drank in the last year. And this would have been kind of mid 2021. And what I was trying to figure out is, when do I drink? And when I am drinking, why am I drinking in those scenarios? So I'd look back and I'd be like, okay, I had work drinks. I had two beers. I went to a birthday party. I had a glass of champagne. I was bored sitting on a sofa on a Friday afternoon and thought it was a good time for a martini, right? So I was doing this exercise with myself to actually diagnose how central alcohol was because I had an inkling that it was probably more prevalent than I thought it was. And this written down exercise really helped me to see that. And I acknowledge that actually, you know, there were very few parts of my life that didn't surround alcohol, even if I wasn't obviously aware of it. Yeah. Wow. That's such a good exercise. And I think that would suggest to the listeners that if they are thinking about that alcohol consumption to, to do that, to really get clear on how, how central alcohol is, is to them. I think I want to share actually at this point because I feel like we're already like quite far into the into the podcast episode because I've never actually come out about this on my content on my Instagram on my podcast before that I actually also am I would say 95% alcohol free and I think it's really important to share a different journey because I think that your journey was almost like you used the word before abrupt it was almost like it came to you, this mm-hmm. understanding, and then you decided to make some big changes. And I feel like for many people who have alcohol as such a central part of their life, that that will be the the journey that they go on. It will be an understanding of, okay, alcohol is very present. We've not even spoken about hangovers yet. <laughs> <laughs> they hit, but yeah. that it's something for me, 
it's been a really different journey, you know, and I, I do want to just share if it's, if it's okay to, to take the microphone. You know, when I was growing up, up until that university age, in fact, up until when I was a lawyer in London, alcohol was, it sounds really similar to, to your journey that I was never like a huge drinker. I mean, I'm very, very like the cheapest date ever when it comes to alcohol because <laughs> I can have two drinks and be like completely, completely drunk. But, you know, at university, we would all, for want of a better phrase, get shit faced before we went out. And we would, me and my friends would show up to the club completely out of our faces. I mean, I look back now and I'm like, oh, mortified at, at our behavior, but let's just forgive ourselves because we were only, you know, 19 years old. But it, that was a really central part of university life. And then even in London, like being more in the at law school and going on lots of holidays and traveling trips and alcohol was just always really, really present. But gradually over time, and I think it was for me a big part of leaving London and leaving that British culture of drinking, which really isn't as present in my life here in Tel Aviv, but it was very much a gradual kind of removal of alcohol. It, it definitely wasn't a rock bottom at all. It definitely wasn't a decision that I really made up until very recently. It just kind of happened to be that. I just realized and understood that alcohol isn't important for me. And alcohol isn't something that I enjoy. And I don't know about you, whether this is different, but I don't like the taste of alcohol, which I think a lot of people don't relate to. A lot of people love the taste of alcohol. They really enjoy it. And they love that feeling of being a little bit drunk, a little bit tipsy and blurry. For me, I don't like it. Don't like to be out of control. Really very sensitive to any any drug in my body. And for me, alcohol is like very toxic. Like it would have a bad effect on my stomach. I would always wake up the next day. Even if I had one glass of wine, I can wake up the next day and just feel like not good and feel like I regret it and mm. not not be my best self basically. And it would affect my work. And I think for the past like five or six years, it has been very only drinking in social situations where I felt very pressured to weddings. Mm. And I will sometimes enjoy it as well. Like I do love a glass of carver at a wedding, but, and also birthday parties or kind of group events, but you know, these days more and more, I just feel like, no, I don't even want to drink. And it's just, I just wanted to share that because I think that there's lots of different ways that people can come to the decision to stop drinking alcohol. And for me, it's been a gradual decline. And now, honestly, in the past, it's been in the last two months, maybe influenced by working together. And I also have another client who is an influencer for not drinking alcohol. She speaks a lot about it in her stuff as well. I've just decided that even that 5% where I do drink is becoming it's like almost like not even relevant anymore. So I just wanted to share that because I'm sure also you know that there are so many ways to come to to the conclusion that you want to become alcohol-free. Definitely. Yeah, there's so many different paths to, and I can't even say a similar outcome because I really do think that the destination that you land on, whether that is being, you know, the language around speaking around this is is also so interesting. You know, whether you define yourself as sober, whether you define yourself as alcohol-free, whether you decide that you call yourself soberish, right? There's so many different outcomes and everyone's journey to getting to that point is going to be so incredibly unique and uh, special to them. But you're so right that all of us are going to basically go on these like thought journeys, right? Of understanding how meaningful alcohol is to us. You had a great point of some people love the taste and there's this perhaps sense of sophistication that comes with drinking a fantastic glass of red wine or, you know, this romantic idea of having a whiskey by a fireplace and it's wintertime and you're in the pub, right? Like there's so many different things that we associate. Well, there's so many different emotions and feelings that we associate to something like the flavor, but maybe the flavor is not important to you. And it really is more about relaxation. And you've gone your entire life thinking, oh my goodness, like I have just had this really big week at work and it's time to come home and run a bath and put the candle on and pour a glass of champagne and just sit in my tub and read a book. And the more and more you start becoming aware of, did alcohol serve me in that moment? Like I was optimizing for relaxation there. Did it help me in the bathtub be more relaxed? Could I have been as relaxed in the bathtub with just my candle in the book? The answer can be yes. The answer can be no. And There's not one way, you know, in speaking so much about alcohol-free living, like I'm really just here to to present facts at the end of the day and not tell you how to live your life. Because I, if you say hand on heart, Gabriella, I relax because that glass of champagne did it for me in the bathtub. 
celebrate that. That is your decision. And if that is what is going to work for you, incredible. But they're so valid to be on the other side of that and start learning how to detach the concept of alcohol from things like sophistication, from celebration, from relaxation, because you can still do all of those things in the absence of alcohol. I'd love to actually kind of ask you about that. You know, I know that you recently, if you're comfortable to share, were in Japan and traveling. And one of the areas that I used to kind of give alcohol a get out of jail free card was vacation. I had this like feral sense of we're at the beach, we're at the beach club, it's margarita time from 9 a.m. to midnight, which in my normal life, like I would never do that, like on a normal Saturday. And but this concept of being on vacation just yeah. let all things go. Like, how did you how has travel and alcohol, like what does that pairing look like for you? And how did your trip to Japan recently maybe change that? Yeah. So this is the thing that's actually since I went to Japan, which is I got back, you know, less than a month ago, was actually when I decided to really just not drink because Mm -hmm. of my experience there and yeah thank you for asking this because I know that we were messaging when I was there and I was sharing with you what I was going through but in my everyday life because my friends my close friends who I see all the time know that I don't drink very rarely get like offered a drink you know when we go out sometimes they're like do you want a glass of do you want a wine glass and I'm like no I'm okay thanks I have my diet coke and and it's almost like it's not a big part of my life anymore because it's just the life I've created and also my boyfriend he's also alcohol free and and it's just it doesn't really come up that much and all of a sudden I was in Japan and I'm on this group trip and I didn't think about it before because it's just not something that even comes to mind and then Mm -hmm. I'm with a group of people and I'm the only one not drinking and it doesn't cross my mind, you know, and it's funny. I just want to kind of almost go back to what you said. I just want to emphasize the the socialization of us with alcohol. It's crazy. I just wanted to say that what you said about the bathtub with a glass of wine and the, when you've had a hard day and the, the whiskey thing, like, wow, that is so, so true. And I've like lost or dropped that socialization. And then all of a sudden in Japan, I'm around people and they want to drink all the time. And the day revolved around drinking And I noticed thoughts of like panic almost coming up. It would be like everywhere we went, let's get a beer. And there's like vending machines all over Tokyo, all over Japan. And that you just go and buy a beer and you walk on the street and you can drink it. Everywhere we went, it was like, let's get a sake. And, you know, we were doing amazing dining experiences and there was all different types of sake. We even went to a sake museum and it felt so strange for me to say, oh, actually I don't drink. And I got myself in this weird position where I was like, oh, I don't really want alcohol. And I was too ashamed or not ashamed. I was too nervous to say, oh, I'm sober. And I didn't know what label to put on it because I've never had to label myself before. And sober-ish is exactly probably what I would call myself. And yeah, I found it really hard. It was it was tough and I didn't drink. And I got a lot of comments. I got a lot of pushback. Some comments about not necessarily being boring, but it was kind of like, oh, Emma's not going to drink. And it was with a bit of like, oh, she's not She's not fun like the rest of us. And then there was one night where they all went to do karaoke together and actually had work to do. And I was the only one there that was also like running a business at the same time as being on this vacation. And I noticed myself like guilt, like shaming myself in my head and feeling guilty and being like, should I just go? Should I just go and be fun? I can have some drinks. I'll deal with a hangover tomorrow. It won't be such a big deal. And I was like, really like, didn't know what to do. And then I was like, I had a word of myself. I coached myself and I'm like, it's actually fine if you don't want to do karaoke. You don't have to be in a situation where everyone's going to be really drunk. And mm-hmm. I didn't go. And the next morning they were all like super hungover. Like they were all like so many private jokes, so many videos of them drinking, like all these funny, hilarious things that happened. And they were all like lying in the breakfast. I like couldn't, you know, just completely basically hung over. And I had this weird of like, felt a bit left out, but I also felt really smug that I didn't have that hangover. And I was like, I feel great. And I'm going to be able to like, have a really good day and be in Japan, which was really important to me. I think it brought up a lot for me of how hard it is to explain to other people that you don't drink and to explain to other people without having to be defensive and without having to justify yourself that I just don't drink and that's it. And I'm going to throw the question back to you. And that's, I think so many people, and I know we both got asked questions before the podcast about how to deal with social situations like dating, like just parties, being with friends in a relationship with your partner, if your partner isn't sober, how do you deal with it? And how has it changed your social life? Definitely. 
And thank you for sharing all of that about Japan. It's it is so interesting. And before I kind of move into the the social dynamics, one of the things that I want to call out that you did that I think is such a helpful tool is playing the tape forward when you're faced with that decision if you're going to drink or not. You know what you said is okay. Everyone was out at karaoke, like they were pressuring me to come, and I I asked myself because I was feeling pressured, right? Of should I be there? Have I made the wrong decision and not going? And you were like, no, okay, have this work. And I know I want to have a great day in Japan tomorrow. And that was, you know, whether you identified that or not in the moment, like you were optimizing for how you were going to have the best day in Japan the next morning and how you're going to get your work done. And you made a decision based on what was most aligned for you. And, you know, you had your priorities there and you were like, no, I'm going to confidently stick to the priorities that I set out for myself. And is FOMO real? And you wake up the next morning and everyone has all these inside jokes. Totally. I cannot ever say that I have not experienced FOMO. You know, there have been so many nights where I've made the decision to stay home and I'm watching TV on the sofa with my dog and I'm watching Instagram stories in real time of my friends that I said no to going out with, partying, having all the fun, laughing, dancing. And it's so human, right? To feel like, oh, should I be there? You know, one of the things that you really taught me on that and something I use when I'm thinking about social dynamics is we have a finite amount of energy to use in a day and that can change day on day. But at the end of it, you really have to ask yourself, okay, as much FOMO as I'm experiencing right now, and I could lace up my shoes and get out and get in a taxi and meet my friends and and start partaking, even if it's midnight, like, is that energetically the right answer for me? If I play the tape forward and do that. And it doesn't even mean I have to drink. It could just be like joining them and being there in the moment with them. Is that going to set me up for the day that I want to have tomorrow? Is it going to interrupt my sleep and and not make me feel my best rested self when I get up in the morning? And just because you say yes or no, like it doesn't have to influence it. Like I think at the end of the day, you really just have to be confident in the decisions that you make and build the self-trust that you're going to pick yourself with whatever route you go down. If you decide to go out and engage and and be in the social dynamic and it's going to make you feel grumpy and tired tomorrow, like be, accept the fact that you've made that decision. And then when you feel grumpy and tired the next morning, don't harp on it, move on from it because you already said, I decided to feel like this. Cool. Let's move on. Let's roll with it. In terms of though, you know, going back to your original question of explaining yourself when you don't want to drink in the scenario and having people, you know, clap back a bit of, oh, Gabriella's not fun or Emma's not fun. Okay. Define fun for yourself. Like 100% in an alcohol-free journey process, whatever you want to call it, you've got to set these definitions for yourself. No one else's definition of fun is your definition of fun. If your definition of fun is sitting at home and playing with your dog and watching TV and someone says, oh, you're not fun because you're not drinking. You're like, cool, your definition of fun's not mine. Like really have that, those definitions for yourself and they can evolve and change. But I love that exercise of, of not letting anyone tell you what fun is, what exciting is, what being desired on a date is, right? If someone goes, oh, I don't really want to go on a date with you because you're not drinking. You're not desirable to me. Okay. Well, that's not your definition of desirable. That's their definition of desirable. So like have that for yourself. And also feel like you never have to explain yourself to anyone when they ask. Your decision to not drink is wholly and entirely yours. It is no one else's. A lot of times you don't even maybe know why you're making an active decision to not drink in the moment. So you might not even have an answer to that question. And it's fine to not feel, or, you know, it's fine to feel like you don't need to overshare. If you're confident in doing so and you want to explain to someone why you're not drinking or you've made that decision, you can. But it's totally cool just to turn to that person and say, you know what, for me, it's not right tonight and leave it there. And if they keep prompting and pushing, take a mental note of that, that that's maybe not someone you want in your orbit as you're going through this journey, because they're not going to honor you at where you're at if they are being intrusive and trying to like scrape for details that you don't owe them. Yeah. And I want to also elaborate on that when it comes to the dating thing, because I know a lot of my single listeners will be thinking, oh, the thought of even going on a date, for example, not only the other person pushing back, but also me being on the date and not even like having that awkward moment and maybe also wanting the wine to loosen you up or something of being like, are you being your authentic self if you're drinking? 
mm-hmm. you want to become alcohol free or you're curious about it, then probably no. You're probably more authentically when you're when you're not drinking. Is it going to be right for you to have this person in your orbit who only wants to date you if you want to have one, two, three glasses of wine? Probably mm-hmm. not. It's probably not aligned. And I think it's really important if people around you really pushing back on something or they're the ones that really like getting it, like you don't want that person in your space and you don't owe them anything. And also another thing, which is going in a different direction, but many people are becoming a lot more curious about being alcohol free. So if people are really judgmental about it, it's probably from their own insecurities of them thinking about their alcohol use and how much alcohol is important for them. So that's another thing to say is that I always like to remind myself of that in lots of different areas of life. And it's really relevant here of like, People can judge me all they want, but it's probably coming from a curious space, even if they subconsciously yeah. only realize that. Definitely, without question. And I think it, as you've said, like that shows up in dating so much. And I'd argue that dating, when you're going through an alcohol-free journey, whatever that looks like for you, dating is probably the thing that I hear is most frightening when it comes to that. And not just dating, like even, you know, I'm as mentioned, I'm in a relationship and Deciding to stop drinking whilst in a relationship also comes with, you know, all different kinds of fears. Like my relationship with my now fiance was built on drinking. We met at a bar. We then continued to go to bars throughout the entirety of our dating journey. We then went on vacation together where we strengthened that relationship, but we were also drinking. And so I would ask myself, I got really scared of saying, I got scared because I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with him. But if I removed something that I considered to be a fiber of our relationship, was it all going to come crumbling down? How are we still going to have fun together if I was not drinking? Was he going to think I was less fun, less desirable, you know, less attracted to me if I wasn't drunk? And I went back on that so many times. And, you know, Can I say it's been perfect? No, because relationships are incredibly dynamic and complicated things. But at the end of the day, if you have the trust from your partner that should be a part of that relationship, you know, you're there to build each other up, make each other better people. If you're not getting that sense of what's the word, like if you're not getting that trust back and saying, hey, I'm making a decision to not drink and I need you to meet me where I'm at. Equally from your side to not be judgmental in terms of their decision around drinking. And I'm in a relationship where one person drinks and one person doesn't. And it's a two-way street. We have to respect each other where we're at. But yeah, it's totally scary to remove something that you feel is a fiber of that relationship, whether it's a defined relationship or whether you're just kind of in the early days of dating. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. How, How has your relationship been affected by it now? Like, Is it something that you have work through and and is is your partner does he still drink yeah he does he does and our relationship has changed in a lot of ways I think the most notable one to call out here and kind of pre-cleared this with him because you know before coming on but you know when you are having a debate let's call it let's not even say debate let's say when you're having a disagreement right with your with your other half and one person is has been drinking, one person has not. How do you navigate that scenario? And that has been a huge part for us. You know, not to say that we're arguing every day, but definitely like these things come up. And what we've had to do and agree upon as a couple is that if we get into this space where we're having a disagreement and alcohol has come in, we both have to acknowledge that we're in different headspaces. Neither of those headspaces is the correct one, critically. Because again, you're honoring where you're at. If you want to have your drinks, fantastic. For me, I'm not, but I have to, we both have to accept that we are in different states right now. Knowing that there's an acceptance, we kind of signed this creed that we don't actually debate out anything or process arguments or process disagreements until we're both in the same headspace. Given that I'm the sober one, that means that we will pick up the conversation when he's ready to have that conversation. That has been something that has been incredibly useful in our relationship because otherwise you're running around in circles and you're not, you're just going to kind of precipitate this issue, whatever it is moving forward. If you can't both kind of sit and think about it and meet each other where you're at. So that's been great. And on the plus side, it's strengthened our relationship as well. Like I've seen 
so much more, not encouragement, but we just have this much deeper, I'm there for you. Like I'm there for you-ness, whatever that's called, that transcends the relationship because I'm in a lot of situations where I don't feel comfortable. I'm really the only person in my friend group who doesn't drink. I'm constantly in social situations where, you know, to this day, I can still feel really uncomfortable around being near alcohol, Mm -hmm. have kind of tools and things to work through it. But my partner is the first person to see that. And he has developed his own tools of how to help me in those scenarios which is incredible. And and feeling that support from him has been nothing but reaffirming to our relationship and shows me that I'm with the right person because they are doing things in their life. They are taking actions that honor and respect my decision-making. Yeah. Wow. It's so important because for, for you to speak about the positive side of it and I actually want to ask the next question to focus on that because I think that many people listening who are considering cutting out alcohol or decreasing their alcohol consumption will probably automatically because we all have human brains will think of all the negative things we'll think of all the hard things right it's like the first questions that you ask is how will it how will I still socialize how will I go traveling on holiday how will I be that left out how will it be at weddings how will it be you know everything we're saying now and we think of all the negative things but we're less inclined to think of the strengths and the benefits and the positive things and you just shared how much even though it's been difficult it's probably brought you and your fiance closer together can you tell me some other ways in which your life has changed since you cut alcohol and and yeah like let's talk about a life without alcohol being something positive and then we'll move on to talk more about some of the challenges yeah I love this question I think One of the really cool things that's come out of being alcohol-free is clarity. And it was not something that I was, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I really came at this journey from a health, cognitive health perspective. That was what was important to me. But off the backside, you still reap all the same benefits of being sober, right? Like, doesn't matter how you get here. Everything that if your goal was to improve your mental health, and you stop drinking, then that's on the other side of it. Like you still get to share in all of the incredible results that come from removing this substance from your life. And what I started learning is that in the absence of alcohol, I started noticing a lot more about areas of my life that I have never really introspected on. I started thinking more about what kind of friend I was to people. I started thinking about my career and if it was right for me. When I was still drinking, I very much was had almost like this brain fog that just never really encouraged me to think about my job, my career, my relationships, my future goals. And in the absence of that brain fog, it then brought up everything that I needed to start working through. And that was really scary because for the first time in my life, you know, I thought I had been on the correct career path. I was just doing everything society had asked of me. And it was like, okay, you're going to go to college then you're going to go to grad school, then you're going to get a job, then you're going to get promoted and promoted and promoted and promoted. And then eventually you just keep going up. Right. And in the absence of alcohol, it was the first time I had gained the clarity of going, is that what I want? Is that what's right for me? Does that even make sense for me? Scary thoughts, because I had gained so much validation from the fact that I had done everything right in society's eyes. I was trading promotions for happiness. Like I thought getting promoted was just what made me happy. But actually now I'm sitting here going, is what I'm working toward on the path I'm on, what's going to make me happy in the long term? And I never had those kinds of thoughts when I was still drinking because I didn't really have like the capacity to even see that I needed to ask myself those questions. Mm. That's been a huge one. Um, Wow. I just want to say that in coaching, I call it a buffer. Like we use alcohol as just one of the many things that we use to avoid our emotions and mm-hmm. that we use to avoid ourselves because it's just sometimes being human is really hard and we don't want to experience negative emotions. Yeah. And when we feel sad or alone or stressed, you know, we use alcohol as a way to diminish those feelings. And I can, you know, it's not obviously been my journey, but I can only imagine what you went through when you removed alcohol from the equation and then all of a sudden you were like faced with your human brain and actually all of the things 
how how did you work through it like what happened when that happened well and this is kind of such a full circle moment to even the fact that we're on this call right now because when I first started having these kinds of questions my immediate response was again sponge mindset let's go learn what does it mean to have all of these thoughts crowding my brain and how do I process them I read no fewer than 20 probably 25 books on every realm of self-help mindset growth mindset and I was like okay if I can just learn how to process my thinking I'll go process it and what ended up happening and you know books podcasts all of it I took on so much information that I entered this action paralysis state. I was like, okay, I know I need to work through this. I have some tools now in my roommate and I have all of these different, you know, anecdotes that I've learned from other people, but I'm having a really difficult time applying it to myself. I need really some like one-on-one guidance of let's process the kinds of thoughts that are coming up for me. How do I work through them and not just learn to accept them, but how do I learn to build action plans off the back of them? Because thinking is great. Action is what makes the change. And one day, you know, a podcast called Turning 30 Podcast came up on my Spotify recommendations, probably because of all of the other podcasts I was listening to. And I listened to an episode of yours where you talked about the importance of coaching in terms of making actionable plans and how our thoughts are not something to be afraid of. Our thoughts are catalysts that can be transformed and produce the kind of life that we want for ourselves on the other side of them and set up a meeting with you to learn more about what that actually could look like in terms of my life. And through speaking with you, you know, we were able to set two really strong goals for who I wanted to become and, and where I felt like I needed to really invest and process thoughts around. And that was in creating an aligned career path and stepping up into a more confident version of myself you helped me see a lot of that, the confidence I had gained through these societal validations, through getting promotions, through getting engaged even. Like I have so many thoughts on that. And, you know, people celebrate an engagement more than they celebrate a lot of other like really pivotal, pivotal like life changes and things that you do for yourself. I fiend a lot of confidence because I thought I had to. And in retrospect, it was not the kind of authentic, kind of quiet confidence that I hope to lead my future life with and that you've really helped me start implementing. And so this is where I'm I'm definitely going to plug the coaching element, like being able to work with someone and understand that like going alcohol-free is, was such a huge and important, you know, pulling the wool off of, of everything. Like it it made so many things better, but it also then started an entire new process of having to process a deal and come to terms with everything you'd been using it to quiet. And that's what coaching has helped me with. Yeah. Wow. It's such a full circle moment. And I remember when we first spoke and you were like, I've just been listening to all of your podcast episodes <laughs> for the past two weeks. And I was Every like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what came up for me when you were speaking is just that in a way you traded alcohol for for working on yourself, for self-development, mm-hmm. for making yourself, for fulfilling whatever it is that you wanted to do. And I think that, I don't know, I don't want to be too bold by saying it, but I feel like what an incredible trade for somebody to do to cut something out of their life that wasn't necessarily serving them, if yeah. it feels right. Like, let's keep going back to the point that we're not preaching, mm-hmm. we're not telling every single person to become alcohol-free, but for the person that it's right for, you can replace that and then the challenges that come up like you said the emotional mm-hmm. mental challenges that come up there is so many different rooms that you can be in yeah personal development rooms there are so many different ways like you said for you that really was becoming a sponge and absorbing it and you did trade it and look what's happened since it's like the knock-on effect the compound effect of you not drinking therefore having more space, having more time. Yes, it was so scary. It was completely out of your comfort zone, but taking Mm -hmm. that and making it something that worked for you and it was very authentic and very aligned for you. And yeah, I'm just really proud of you because I think that many people don't go on this journey because they don't know it's available to them. And I'm really happy for everyone listening to know that you absolutely can. And in a way, I want to say that I also, when I was 29 and originally, you know, this is seven years ago now, 
had my turning 30 journey, I was drinking then. I did drink, not a lot, but I probably sounds like similar to you. Like I would drink quite frequently. I would be out most nights of the week. And I remember really wanting to work with a career coach at the time and not having money and being mm-hmm. like, actually, I can stop drinking alcohol willy-nilly for the sake of it. And I would probably end up saving like a few hundred dollars a month. And yeah. I can stop buying loads of clothes that I'm never going to wear again. That I just bought fast fashion and really like cutting out those behaviors from my life and instead pouring that money and that energy, that time yeah. and energy investment that we don't even realize most of the time that we have into getting to know myself, learning about myself and doing this work. So actually it's really similar to what happened to you, but it was just, I almost forgot about it because it was so yeah. long ago. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that it's really important to know that you can do that and you can switch something that central to your life and and come out the other side and build a completely new life because your life looks really different now to than it looked probably two years ago before you had quit drinking. Yeah, without question. And it's something that you have to want to do, right? You, for yourself, you know, having support networks, especially going through this kind of journey is incredibly important having people you can rely on, having someone that you can speak with, who's going to hold space for you just to talk about what your, you know, what problems and feelings and emotions are coming up as you navigate your relationship with alcohol. It's so important, but at the end of the day, no one cheers louder for yourself than you. You have to find that kind of fire within yourself. And that is something that takes work. Not saying you have to, if you feel right now, I don't have that sense of fire burning within me. It doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. You just through kind of understanding what that future life could look like for yourself and deciding that that's what you want, you're going to build that with yourself. You will in time build this kind of self-trust to honor what your future, you know, to to get that future life that you want for yourself. It takes time. Yeah. But what I'd like to share also is you're not alone in that. And, you know, specific to this alcohol-free journey, there are so many people out there going through something similar right now. Alcohol-free drink sales in the U.S. increased 20% August 2021 to 2022. There are a million and a half Instagram posts that mention mocktails. There are 4 million Instagram posts that mention being sober or rather like hashtag sober. Mm-hmm. And more and more people, if we look at the next generation, Gen Z, one in three are cutting back on drinking. One in four are already not drinking. Wow, that's, that's crazy. Right? Isn't that wild? Like, this is a tidal change. This is like the very social fabric of our world is truly changing. And I think a lot of what we saw, the rhetoric around smoking and cigarettes 20 years ago is now being applied to alcohol-free living. I don't think it's a trend. I don't like ascribing the word trend to alcohol-free living. Yeah. And I actually, I had this on my notes to bring up with you that I read somewhere, maybe it was even a post that I sent you that in 10 years time, we're going to speak about alcohol being Mm -hmm. dangerous for our bodies in the same way that we already speak about smoking. So obviously we know that in the 1930s until the 1980s, like smoking Mm -hmm. was just really acceptable. Nobody knew how dangerous it was for you. And now obviously we all know what what the world thinks of smoking now and how obviously all the laws and the regulations around it and that this is going to happen with alcohol. What do you think about that? Is that something that you also know about, see, like what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, you know, as I said, I, it's, I don't think it's a trend. We are seeing governments now even make, you know, very strong policy recommendations and not even recommendations, policy implementations around what alcohol means for their civilians. For example, Canada has recently come out and said that they are going to be, they've changed their recommended drinking amounts for men and women to none. They have really looked at the science and gone, we now see from a scientific perspective that no alcohol is the right, you know, this is, again, is the way if you are trying to minimize your chance of getting different cancers, different brain altering, you know, diseases like That's the recommendation. We have Ireland, who's now by 2026 going to be labeling every single alcoholic product produced and sold in Ireland is going to have to have explicit health details about the impact of alcohol on our bodies. Like this is not coming from nowhere. And so, yeah, I think I'm excited to just see a population and a generation really who has 
is thinking about alcohol in a different way. But I don't think that it's all coming from the health perspective. I think so much of it is socialization. And I think people are just getting to this point where they're going, you know what? Fun looks like something else than alcohol. There are so many. I mean, look at what the remit of activities and things that you can go out and do from travel, from all, I mean, go drive go-karts, go do a painting class. Like there are so many cool artistic, creative ways that we can start using our bodies and using our brains that don't involve alcohol. And it's just, it's inspiring, I think, to see a younger generation separate themselves from historically what society has said alcohol must be used for. Yeah, I agree. I see the shift happening as well. And I also really hope it continues. And it, I didn't know that that about the the labeling of alcohol, like you said, mm-hmm. that Ireland have, have brought this in. And that's what happened with cigarettes. I remember it, you know, yeah. when I was at university, it was like, we were still smoking indoors. And then that's showing my age, but it was whilst I was at university that they bought the smoking yeah. ban that you had to smoke outside. And that was like, what I remember being like oh wow that's crazy it is going to happen for alcohol I think I don't know how if it's how quick it's going to be and how you know how much it's going to be upheld but I really see the shift happening and I don't know maybe the algorithm targets me because I speak about these things and and with my friends and that the algorithm on Instagram knows that I'm you know basically alcohol free but I'm seeing so much information from thought leaders in this area who are basically coming out neuroscience research. And I don't want to quote anything incorrectly because I don't have any statistics in front of me and I'm not a medical practitioner, but yes, exactly like you're saying, the science is showing us the damage of alcohol. And it's really crazy, you know, in university, I, I studied psychology as a first degree and I did a whole semester on one of the courses that I took was about drugs basically and our alcohol being one of those and it was also cannabis and hallucinogenics and all different types of drugs and talking about the societies like the socialization of them and also the the medical impact and alcohol is the most dangerous drug but it's the one that is the most common and the most like socially acceptable and I remember at the time being like wow this is really crazy I remember this was before any alcohol-free Beers weren't available, alcohol-free beverages weren't even a thing when this is, you know, we're talking like 15 years ago. And I actually am really inspired and and grateful to see it shifting and changing because, you know, we've not even spoken about the dangers of alcohol abuse. And I think that it's really important for us to be going through this generational change. And it's it's great to be front row seats to it, but also you know, you're going to be playing a big part of that as a thought leader in this space, as a coach who is now focused on helping people change their relationship with alcohol. It's so great to see you stepping into that role that I know is so important and going to continue to be important in the next however many years. Definitely. I think it's so cool to that point, like we're going to see more creativity coming out over the next years. You know, I think that we have not for better or for worse, but with the rise of the internet and with now artificial intelligence, everything has really like creativity looks new in this day and age. Creativity is coming up with how to leverage the tools at our disposal, like technological tools in the most efficient and optimized ways. But when you look at what alcohol does on the brain, the lack of alcohol on the brain allows our neurons to fire more efficiently. Like we can actually get more capability out of our brain in the absence of alcohol that is going to catalyze creativity. Our right and left sides of our brains are able to speak to each other better, which then provides, you know, more opportunity for us to go and create new and exciting things. Um, We're really like, we're doing our society good by collectively strengthening our brains and having the ability to think more critically and create more creative outputs that everyone else around us is going to benefit from. So just excited to, you know, see if, the output or like the effect of this next generation drinking less, what that actually, you know, what kind of radical change comes off the back of that in terms of technology, in terms of the arts, like, I really think that we're in for another kind of pretty dramatic title shift in in terms of what the next 10, 15 and 20 years look like. Yeah, I really agree with you. I, wow, there's so many topics that we didn't even (laughs) manage to get to, and we're coming up to almost the end of the episode. 
I think that what we're going to do is when we publish the, when we release this episode, me and you will go live on our Instagrams and we'll carry on the conversation and we'll answer some of the questions that we receive. Both of us received really specific questions about the struggles and the challenges to remove alcohol. So let's say that we'll almost do a part two for that. And I guess what I wanted to ask before we finished is what you would recommend for somebody who is listening to this, who feels that they want to not, not necessarily reduce their alcohol consumption, but just question it. They want to get curious and they maybe want to start their journey, but they're really nervous and afraid and it feels almost unattainable. Like it's not in their grasp to do it. What would you say to that person almost like where to start on this path? Definitely. I think the first thing is acknowledging that if that thought has come into your brain, even just like once, think about the fact that we process over 70,000 thoughts a day. Like there's so much noise that comes in and out of our brains. If one of those thoughts that's kind of come into the front of your mind is, I might want to think about my relationship with alcohol, but I'm feeling like I don't know where to start. Even before you start, embrace that thought and just thank yourself for having that thought because it's come to you for a reason. And in embracing it, try and nurture it and water it rather than run away from it. The next thing is every time, and this is actually a piece of advice that I've just given to someone I'm working with right now on kind of rewiring her approach to alcohol, is the next time that you have a drink in front of you and you're in this mindset, right, of, okay, maybe I'd like to say no to this drink. Maybe I'm not sure how to yet. Think about how you feel. Literally pull out your phone, notes app. Before you make a decision, if you're going to drink one way or the other in that scenario, just write down how you're feeling. Like, what are the thoughts that come to mind right now? Do you feel good about that decision? Are you confused? Are you feeling anxious? You're feeling overwhelmed? Like, whatever it is, just note it down. That's, you know, then make your decision one way or the other. And it can be that you decide to drink. It can be that you don't. But whatever that next decision you take, write down your feelings and emotions on the other side. So again, phone back out, notes app, five, 10 minutes later. And what I would say is just start keeping a log for yourself. You don't have to act on any of this information. This is literally your own, let's call it brain market research, your personal brain mental research, maybe name your brain. You can give it your own name or you can give it someone else's name. And so let's just say my name, I name my brain Martha, but this is Martha's thoughts. And there's a notes app on my phone for Martha's thoughts. And when I was thinking about if Martha wants to drink or not, you know, she felt anxious before taking the drink. She then had it. And then she felt anxious after, or she felt anxious before then we had, did not have the drink. And then she felt peace after start creating that log for yourself. Once you've been through that for several days, weeks, months like this, take it at your own pace, start reading back. And in the instances where you found peace, is that something you want to continue moving toward in the instances where you found clarity? Is that the kind of emotion and mind space you want to continue moving toward? And over time, like your desire to start entertaining an alcohol-free life or a soberish life, whatever that definition is to you, it's going to emerge because when you see it documented down, you can start defining what you want your life to look like. It's hard to do if you don't have the market research up front to, to help you process that. Yeah, it's like I always say in my coaching, reflect, accept, take action is like the three phases. And to start, you have to reflect. It's like with a GPS, you wouldn't put in Google Maps the destination without putting where you currently are. So, okay. so important. I think that it's a really good piece of advice. It's just, yeah, embrace the thought and let yourself have it. Like, don't be afraid to let that thought come into your brain and know that you don't have to make take action right now. Mm-hmm. And I want to just finish by saying that, you know, any big behavior change in life, like changing your relationship to alcohol is all coming from our thoughts and we spoke about this a lot in our coaching program because you know it's the model that I teach and and I think it's important to really say out loud that if you want to change that behavior and make long sustainable lasting change with alcohol with anything else in life it's going to require a mindset shift in some level it's going to require you really uncovering beliefs many of those that are subconscious you even just said before 70,000 thoughts majority of those aren't even in our conscious brains and that takes work okay and and that work doesn't happen overnight and you don't need to do it alone so I just want to leave it at that because and I want to really really urge anybody who is in this place of wanting to question it and wanting to change behavior to be in touch with you and to really 
feel comfortable to reach out to you and to explore your coaching program and to make sure that it to, to know that you don't have to do this alone. And if it is something that you want to explore, then you can be supported. So on that note, just to end, can you share where people can learn a little bit more about you and where they can find you and how they can connect with you to, to start their own journeys? Definitely. I So I am on both Instagram and TikTok under not applicable drinks. We'll tag that in the show notes as well. So it's easy to spell. I, but yeah, I think, you know, part of my alcohol-free journey and my questioning of my own career path is learning that I was so passionate about the process that I went through and learning how others have gone through that. As I said, there's no one size fits all model for this process, but there are kind of defined coaching techniques and processes that can help you think about your thoughts. And as I said with Emma, what she really helped me with is building that action plan off the back of them. That's really what the power of of a coaching journey can be. So if you are thinking about maybe becoming sober curious, or you're already sober curious and wanting to transition more into an alcohol-free lifestyle, or you're already alcohol-free and like me, started then saying, oh my goodness, there is so much else here to process. Like it doesn't matter where you are in that journey. I would love to kind of partner with you in that thought exercise. And that's really what that is. That's a partnership in thought and helping you process that and, you know, making sure that we define who you want to be, what, how alcohol free is going to help you get there. And then creating a strategy plan to actually realize that and bring it into, into reality. Yeah. Oh, I just so grateful that you came on and that you shared your journey. And we had this really open conversation, as I mentioned in the episode, it is the first time that I've spoken out about it, probably because it's not something that is so present in my everyday because it's happened so gradually, but I'm really passionate about it. And I really, I do hope that some people are listening, this gives them food for thought and that, you know, again, like I said, they start to make some changes and and also to connect with you and even just to follow you and see what you know you're sharing because your content is so useful and so helpful so thank you so much for being here it's been such a pleasure and I'll see everybody else on the podcast next week 